Thank you for joining us today. Whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on-site with us weekly or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely. It's on all our social media platforms. I hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Enjoy the message. What a blessing. What a blessing our band is and our worship time together. I tell you, you need some of that, don't you? You need some of that presence of God to bring that breakthrough. Thank you. I'm going to jump into the Word or the Scripture. Jesus is the Word. I'm going to jump into the Scripture in Luke 17. If you've got a Bible you want to follow along, you can do that. Um, we'll have the Scriptures coming up. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, you are the Word that, that truly brings us life. And it's you that we depend upon. We don't live by bread or human things alone, but we live by every word that comes out of your mouth. And I pray this morning that as we hear those words, our hearts are open to receive all that you've got for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Luke 17 verse 20 says this, Once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, they're the religious teachers of the day, when the kingdom of God was coming. And he answered and he said, The kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is among you. Another translation says the kingdom of God is within you. And this is the master thought of Jesus. This is the, the purpose of him coming. It's his first sermons, its first message was, uh, we talked about that a few weeks ago, repent for the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand. And Jesus was all about bringing the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God to earth and embodying that. And we've been doing a series on what it means to have kingdom thinking. And in this series, we aim to explore what Jesus meant by kingdom of God. And I think it needs quite a bit of unpacking for us to really understand what Jesus meant by this. I mean, first of all, we need to know Christ. We need to know who he is, what his identity is, who does he say he is, who do we think he is, and uh, what, what, did he, what did he teach, and who was he teaching it to? So all these things kind of help us contextualize the Scripture. So who is Jesus? Who's he talking to? And what is he trying to get across? And when we understand Christ's identity, we understand his mission, we understand his practice, we understand why he died, we understand why he rose from the dead, then we can begin to understand what he meant by what he, what he said and what he meant. If we do not understand what Christ meant by the kingdom of God, then we need to dig in a little deeper. And I think that's a good thing to do. And Jesus here says, listen, the revelation from God is not from the outside. But kingdom thinking or kingdom of God thinking is meant to be embodied by kingdom people as a visible witness to the world, to the ways of the kingdom. See, Jesus and the apostles, they made this charter of what it meant to live a kingdom life. And he says those in the kingdom is about, or Christian living, is loving God and loving others. 
And kingdom thinking people are meant to be known as an ocean of love for God and for one another and all their neighbors. And the depth of this kind of love, I don't think we really fully understand what that, that love, when you mix words like covenant in there and you have this rugged commitment of presence and advocacy and direction in life towards Christ likeness. See, God loves us. And he commits himself to us in a covenant. And that covenant is to be with us, to be for us, and to transform us into people of God's kingdom who love each other and love God. And kingdom thinking and kingdom living can often clash, or biblical standards can often clash with our modern culture. And if we try to be one of these modernized churches and we do that by compromising biblical standards and moral relativity, I think we're in big trouble. People who follow their own standards of what is right and wrong rather submitting to kingdom or King Jesus and submitting to Jesus' teachings and the apostles' teachings and an attempt to modernize, we take on secular doctrines into the church. And then if we do that, we become in danger of destroying the very thing and the very thing that makes us different to the world. So where is our voice? Where is our voice against the evil one to stop things like corruption, to stop things like um, uh, denouncing other people and hatred? The church has to have a voice in this world and not be overtaken by the evil one by the secular world around us, which is controlled by the evil one. Once the church gives up its traditional wisdom and values, it loses the very thing that makes it different. If we become like everybody else, we lose the voice in opposition to the secular world, which is under the control of the evil one. And we need to wake up. church needs to wake up because we've got a voice. and We've got a mission. And that mission is to bring God's kingdom to earth. Jesus says, pray this, believe this, pursue this, seek after this. More than anything else, seek after God's kingdom and his will to be done on earth and his kingdom to come. I tell you, I don't want to live in a world where the secular is controlling everything around us. I want to live in a world where Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And I've got a mission and you've got a mission to bring the kingdom to earth. And we have to do this by beginning to think like kingdom people think. We have to do this by uh, knowing our identity and who we are. And we have to know who, we know who Christ is as king, and then we know our identity as who we are. And then we need to challenge the lordless lords of this world around us with their moral relativity. And then we need to embody the kingdom that we wish to see here on earth. I'm preaching better than you're responding. I'm teasing you. It helps me when people feedback. Point number one, and I only got three quick points this morning. We are image bearers made to rule. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49 says, Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we will also bear the image of man of heaven. Paul teaches that the first man, which was Adam, became that living being. And the last Adam, which is Christ, 
became that life-giving spirit. This teaches us that in the resurrection, we will be restored to our original role. We're meant to be life-giving, not just a living being. Human beings in the beginning were meant to live under the kingdom rule of God. Read this in Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28. They were given that authority to human beings and the very life of God was breathed into them. But this authority was a delegated authority. And it wasn't given by other humans, it was given by God. It wasn't authority given in a democratic way, but an authority given by divine command. And if we are meant to rule as people of God's kingdom, we are meant to rule in submission to the King of Kings, within the divine order. Now, of course, humans were those image bearers of God, but there was a, a satanic attack upon their identity. As the trick came in and say, eat this and you'll be just like God. And it's that when they thought they could take the place of God and subverse divine authority, they thought they could take authority without God and they could be God themselves. And I see that in our culture today, the satanic attack on our identity and who we are as image bearers of God. Not only are we image bearers of God, but we are to embody who God is on earth. That is what an image bearer is. Placed in that temple garden to to represent the authority and power and rule that was God's. Now they deceived and they took that and they wanted, they were sold the lie of this self-centered satisfaction that if you eat this, you'll be satisfied. This will be enough for you. You don't need God because you'll be like God yourself. And that broke the connection of who they were within God's divine order. Now, our human identity is not our carnal nature. It's not our carnal desires to do what we want in our flesh. No, it's a desire to submit our lives and say, God, you are king. Christ, you are king, and I am your loyal subject, and I follow you, and I obey you. That is the freedom, what it means to live in God's kingdom. God, Jesus said God's kingdom is among us, and it's within us. This is the very dwelling place of God is among humans as originally intended. Humans are meant to be the temples of the Spirit of God and embody the kingdom of God within us to demonstrate to all of creation who the image bearers or the children of God are. Paul wrote this in Romans 8, 19. He says, all creation is longing for the time when the children of God will be revealed. As the children of God have revealed who they are, all of creation will know that Christ is king. And God's heavenly kingdom is is now becoming a reality through Christ Jesus. And Jesus visited the temple most famously, didn't he? And he said, instead of being a meeting place between heaven and hell, heaven and earth, sorry, Jesus said, it was now a den of thieves. It had become hell itself a den of thieves and robbers, so he claimed to replace that temple. He says, you destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. 
What was he talking about? The temple as his body. And we are meant to be embodying the temple and becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit in his resurrected body. This is Matthew 21, verse 13. But this community of followers of Christ become the new meeting place of heaven and earth. So Jesus' idea of the new temple is not a building. It's not a, a place made of stone, but it's a place of, if you like, living stones, which is us. Peter wrote this, a community of Jesus as a community of living stones who are built as a spiritual house with Jesus as the cornerstone. In Paul's letter to Ephesians, he says that Jesus' followers are like God's house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus as the cornerstone and becoming the dwelling place of God where his spirit lives in the image of Christ being the cornerstone. That's Ephesians 2.20. When we're held together, you know, we become that kingdom of God. It's not something that we do on our own. It's not something that we do it disconnected. We stay connected to that cornerstone and we then uh, build the kingdom of God. And that happens as we connect with one another. Point number two, how the church should challenge the lordless lords of our culture. The lordless lords, what are the lordless lords? Those who offer Offer ruling without submission to Christ the King. And kingdom thinking challenges this by putting Christ in his rightful place. Jesus says, you do not belong to the world, therefore you do not love the things of the world, but we belong to Christ because that's where our allegiance lies. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus says in John 15 verse 19, he says, if you belong to this world, the world would love you as its own. But you do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. If the world hates you, if the world loves you, it means you've perhaps lost your voice against the evil one. And the evil things in this world that we've tolerated and we've allowed within our culture that we've somehow turned things upside down and calling uh, good evil and evil good. I've chosen you. And the world hates you because of it. See, Matthew, in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches his disciples that you can't serve two masters. As people of the kingdom, we have to choose whom we're going to serve. To serve the world is to seek the things of this world, hoping that they would bring us satisfaction. To serve this world means to seek the kings of this world, things of this world. And that word serve and the word worship are interchangeable. So when we say we're serving things as in we're orientating our life towards those things as if they're the most important we're elevating them to a place of God and we're worshiping them he says you worship the creature rather than the creator what but when we give our devotion what we give our devotion to first is that which we serve or that which we worship so Jesus says no one can serve two masters Um, You'll either uh, hate one and love the other, devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, he says, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you drink. These are the things that you serve. About your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than clothing? Um, Is the body not more than food? For the Gentiles strive for these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need of them. 
but strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6. Serving ourselves and serving worldly things comes with a warning. Paul said to the church in Philippi, he says, imitate me and live like citizens of heaven. As in live like you are part of God's kingdom and you are not enemies of the cross. I read this this week and I thought, wow, Paul, you did not hold back. Philippians 3 verse 17 to 20. Brothers and sisters, join me in imitating and observing those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross. And I've told you often, and now I tell you even with tears, that their their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. Yeah, Paul, don't hold back. But our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there we are expecting a Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. My final point is how do we embody the kingdom? The church embodies or seeks to embody the kingdom realities with what Jesus and both the Bible speak about. In Mark chapter 12, there's a story of this scribe. He's coming to test Jesus. And they tested him all the time. And after this one, they kind of left him alone. But the scribe comes to him and says, what's the most important thing in the kingdom? And Christ says, God is one. Beside him, there is no other. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than burnt offerings. And Jesus heard, said this, and the scribe agreed, and concluded that Jesus was correct. But the wisdom that Christ showed here backed up by the way he lived. Jesus didn't just preach, but he embodied the answer that people were searching for. Even when his teaching was challenged. And his teaching was challenging to the culture around him. And everyone kind of left him. And you read this in John 13. Everyone left him. uh, Sorry, John 6. Everyone left him, but his disciples said they recognized you have the words of eternal life. You are the son of the living God. They recognized, even though they were challenged by his teaching, they recognized that he was the very embodiment of the kingdom of God. The true mark, he says, of a believer is shown in our love for one another. That's John 13, 35. And the fruit that we bear in our lives because we obey his commandment. And what was his commandment, John 14, 15? That you love one another. In 1 John 3, he says, You cannot say you love God, yet hate your brother, for God himself is love. To embody the love of God is to embody the kingdom of God. To embody the love of God and the love of then is demonstrated out to others is us showing what the kingdom of God is like. In 1 John 3.18, he says, Little children, let us love not just in word and speech, but in truth and in action. Embodying the kingdom of God in truth, what we speak and action, what we do. I tell you, this thing, these things really challenge me. You know, is my speech embodying the kingdom of God? Is everything I do embodying 
the kingdom of God. If someone saw me in my home, in my workplace, in my, you know, whatever I do, wherever I go, in those places where I think nobody's watching, am I embodying the kingdom of God? Am I speaking it? Am I living it? Otherwise, you're just hearers of God's word and you don't do anything about it. We can be challenged by these things. I'm challenged by these things. When Jesus saw the scribe and the scribe had recognized, he said this in Mark 12, verse 34. He saw that he answered wisely and he says, listen, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're close. Jesus had so many interactions with people and some of them were trying to test him, but after that, no one dared even question him. So let's close. The kingdom of God is within us. In kingdom thinking, it's about knowing who Christ is and Christ having his rightful place in our lives as King of kings and Lord of lords. But who is this Christ? What is his identity? Jesus says, didn't he, right there at the beginning, my first scripture, Don't go looking for it here and there. Embody it. Sometimes we can deflect, can't we? You know, when we look at ourselves, we think maybe my life's not quite representing God's kingdom, but look at him, you know. Look at bad things he's doing. Deflecting away. And Christ always turns it back and says, well, well, what about you? What about you? Know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know him? Do you know who he is? Jesus taught the kingdom of God is among us or within us. And this means that God wants to dwell in us because he's for us. But he wants to transform us. It's an important message there. He wants to transform us. He never leaves us the way we are. He wants to be the very dwelling place of God where heaven and earth meet. And humans are meant to be, Paul teaches, the temples of the Spirit of the living God. So we embody the kingdom of God within us to demonstrate to all of creation of what the kingdom is like. My second point, remember, was to challenge the world around us. Kingdom thinking does challenge the world around us. We do not belong to the world. We belong to Christ. That's where our allegiance lies. And then how do we embody this? And how do we demonstrate God's love to the world around us? It begins by understanding that God is one. There is no other. There's none beside him. And that we love him with all our heart, with all our strength, with all our understanding. And then out of that love connects to one's neighbor. And we love them as we love ourselves. Kingdom thinking means that we embody the change that we want to see in the world, bringing the kingdom of God to earth, bringing heaven to earth. Jesus taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done. That prayer begins with putting God in his rightful place by our praise, by our worship, putting our daily needs in order, looking to 
Him as the source of our supply. Not seeking all these things and making them God to us, but seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto Him. Amen? Amen? Praise God. I can invite the band. There we go. And we're going to worship together.